tap your Bible and make it come alive. Or um, There was a, a study uh, or a statistic, I don't know what it was, that said that um, the Bible is, is uh, more accessible in our world today than it ever has been in the history you know, uh, of the world, um, but people are reading their Bible less than they ever have. And um, I don't know if uh, uh, familiarity breeds contempt or ubiquity. I don't know what it is. But the fact that most of us have Bible apps, we just don't look at them. And so um, that's, that's really something that, that we should ponder and think about, that the Word of God, we have this liberty and access to God's Word. And, um, and we, should, uh, we should be mindful of that and contemplate that and, and read God's Word. First, uh, excuse me, Colossians, the first chapter, um, and we're, um, we're picking back up in verse 21. Last week, we read through uh, what's called the Christ hymn, which is this kind of poetic um, exaltation of the person uh, of Jesus Christ. And um, these verses we're moving through this morning kind of follow on the heels of that. So let's read together. Uh, Colossians 1.21, it reads, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for, uh, for uh, walking with us by your spirit as we move through the book of Colossians and as we, um, as we try to uh, glean the wisdom from your word. Um, help us to be transformed by the word of God. And uh, minister to our hearts this morning as we move through this passage. We pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit and that you would convict us and convince us of the Word of God. Let us leave this place different than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read, um, most of us read from the ESV or I don't know what Bible you're using, but I want to read from the message. The message isn't... Uh, a version I use all the time, but I think it's helpful because uh, sometimes Paul's language is stratified. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty heady and lofty, and sometimes he's just hard to understand. Um, the message of the gospel is simple, but sometimes the words of Scripture need, need some uh, further clarification. So um, this is Colossians 1, 21 through 23 from the message. Listen to this. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him and giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, 
am a messenger of this message. That's helpful. Last week, um, I said something that may have been um, confusing to some people. I wanted to clarify that as we talked this morning about our sermon title is Blessed Assurance. And I said last week that Jesus doesn't give us self-esteem. He gives us assurance. And the two are not the same. And the reason I mentioned that um, is often the gospel gets reduced to um, uh, merely a self-help motivational statement. Um, so we certainly, you know, we rejoice in the fact that God has lavished his grace and his love on us, but we don't ever want to make the mistake of thinking that we're the cause of it. In other words, that God saw something so great in us, certainly he loves his creation and we are made in his image. And, um, but we don't want to make the mistake of ever thinking that the gospel somehow exalts us. It does not. It exalts God. And so what we want to do is we want to always keep in view that, um, that God, that, that our, our acceptance in the family of God is about him and not us. And what God gives us in spite of our shortcomings and our weaknesses is not self-esteem, but he gives us an assurance that his love is unfailing and that sometimes we fail, right? Often we fail. Um, it's his ongoing grace and love for us uh, that we're to, to think about and ponder. Um, the proper response of a beggar um, when someone puts money uh, into his cup should not be, I must really be something special. It should be, uh, no, thank you for that act of kindness. We're all beggars in that sense with God. Have you ever heard of cat and dog theology? Right, A, a cat um, wakes up every morning and sees that there's a comfy little bed and a scratch pole and there's food and water in his bowl and the cat thinks, I must be God. And the dog wakes up every morning, and he's got, you know, he, he, he wakes up from his comfortable bed, and there's food, and there's, there's uh, shelter, and he thinks about his owner, wow, he must be God. And so there's that, the difference there with exalting God as opposed to exalting us. Um, when, when God is big, people are small, and when people are big, God is small. And so um, this is something that we all... Um, have to strive to keep in the forefront of our mind. The Puritans, um, they often epitomize this um, truth by reminding themselves that, you know, without God, uh, they were nothing. Sometimes they, they seem so self-deprecating, but um, they were always mourning over their sins and glorifying God because it was, it, was, it was staggering to them that God loved them and they were forgiven. One Puritan prayer says, Lord Jesus, I sin." Grant that I may never cease grieving because of it. Never think I can reach a point of perfection. Kill my envy, command my tongue, trample down self. Give me grace to be holy, kind, gentle, pure, peaceable, to live for thee and not for self. To copy thy words, acts, spirit, to be transformed into thy likeness and to be consecrated wholly to thee, to live entirely for thy glory. These verses, verses here in Colossians are they're really about the, the believer's um, assurance. 
grounds for assurance and admonition to continue um, in the hope of our assurance. Hebrews 6.19 says, um, it speaks of this assurance as an anchor of the soul. And when we live faithfully, um, assurance of God, um, God's salvation comforts us. And we, when we live unfaithfully, we lack that assurance. And so um, Paul is telling us not to shift from the hope of the gospel that we heard. He's saying, don't abandon the assurance that you received um, from the hope of the gospel. And he says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Um, because what he's saying is, here's what you were, uh, and here's what God has done for you, so here's what your response should be. So there's this linear argument here. Here's what you were, here's what you now are, and now here's what you must do. There's always a response on our part. There's always something that we're to respond, not to earn, but to, to act in a way that comports with what God has done for us. And so there's these, these three things here. There is alienation, we were, we're now holy, so we must continue. So first, let's look at verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... Um, we were once alienated from God. The passage just before it was all about Jesus. It was about he and him. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the image of the invisible God. There's all these uh, third-person personal pronouns. He, himself, him, him, him. He is the image of God, firstborn of the creation. He's the firstborn uh, from the dead. Uh, in him, all things hold together. And now there's this switch to you. So he says, here's who Jesus is. He's the agent of creation, the agent of redemption and salvation. And you, there's a switch now in verse 21, <clears throat> you were alienated um, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So the question, I guess, is what does it mean to be alienated? If we think of the word alien, um, that we were aliens to God, it means that he didn't recognize us as his own. In Ephesians 4, 18 through 19, it says, They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so what Paul is saying here is that uh, the mind and the will our mind and our will cooperated together in our rebellion against God. He says, you were alienated because you were hostile in mind and your deeds were evil. The adjective that's used there, hostile, has a, a noun that is the counterpart, and the noun is enemy. So from the original language, the adjective is hostile in your minds, but the noun is enemies. You were enemies to God. That's what Paul is saying. Um, and, and your evil deeds proved that. In the modern world, um, the idea of alienation simply doesn't have the mental force that it would have in the ancient world. Um, in the ancient world, um, and even in many places uh, in the Middle East, uh, people uh, and their families live in the same, uh, lived in the same location for, for generations. Um, and so there's even tribal conflicts result from the fact that even someone from a few villages down the road is, is alien 
And, and this is a concept that, you know, we're a pretty transient culture, right? We just, if we want to pack up and move to New York City, we will. If we want to pack up and move to uh, North Dakota, we just do. And in our country, uh, no one thinks much about it. But the, the mental force of the idea of alienation would have hit the Colossians really hard, that we were alienated from God. We were essentially foreigners from God. This is one of the reasons why the story of God's call to Abraham to get up from his father's house in Ur of the Chaldees is so mind-blowing. For us, we say, oh, well, you know, God called him somewhere else. He got up and go. He told his friends, hey, I've got, a, I've got another opp- job opportunity. <laughs> I'm going to take it. Well, that's not what was going on. The idea that Abraham, who was a pagan, his father was an idol maker, that God called him to leave everything he knew and to essentially go to a land that he didn't know, this is, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. And it's also a great sign of his faith. Um, <clears throat> so the idea of alienation there is what Paul's talking about. And alienation um, happens not only from being a stranger to God, but it also, it's also the result of ruptured relationship. So as a, as a people, the human race, we once knew God, Right? Before Adam before the, and Eve and the fall in the garden, as, a, as a, the human race knew God, but that relationship has been uh, ruptured. And so we were all alien, right? None of us are born saved. Um, at some point in our lives, God regenerates our hearts and redeems us. And so there is this past that, God, that Paul is looking at, right? He's looking at the past and, say, and, and he's saying, here's what you were. You were aliens, You were foreigners uh, to God and his family, and uh, you were hostile in your mind. You know, you were enemies of God. Uh, Carol, this morning with the kids, you know, I thought, man, she's preaching my sermon down there, you know. Uh, There's nothing for me to say. I mean, she she just really nailed it. But but it was was really helpful um, listening to her, and, and I think that that's a powerful point that we ought not to lose is that we were enemies of God. We don't often think about that, right? We think, well, I was a good person, But the bottom line is that the disposition of our hearts and our minds uh, were hostile towards God. Um, And not only were we alien to God, but God was alien to us. Uh, We couldn't understand the things of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, they're, they're kind of like spiritually coded. I don't know if they do it anymore. You know, you get cereal and there's a decoder in there. Because you know, do they do they do that anymore? I don't eat cereal nowadays, but but they, you know, you used to get you know kids cereal and there was a decoder. Well, the Holy Spirit uh, decodes the mysteries of God for us. Um, before we didn't know what the Bible was all about. We didn't know who God was really or what God was all about. And 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 so before it was, you know, we heard of God. We we thought we had an understanding of Him. But you have to. I'm sure you can testify that as you've grown. In your relationship with the Lord, you've come to know him, and you will continue to know him better and better and better. And so the, 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 the power of God, who God is, becomes clearer and clearer to us. Um, and it also means estrangement. The idea of alienation, which is what, we, what our condition, what it once was, alienated, it, it also means that we were estranged. Um, you know, when a husband and wife become estranged from each other, it means that, uh, that there's a hostility between them. And sometimes it gets so bad that they can't even live in the same house. And sometimes, you know, ultimately they get divorced. Well, that was 
us as human beings with God. Um, right? God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden. Uh, they, 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 they could not dwell together anymore. So our evil deeds made us hostile to God. And secondly, here it says in, uh, in, in verse 22, we were alienated, but now we're holy. Uh, verse 22 reads, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in him. Um, the New Living Translation says, but now by giving himself completely at the cross and actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together whole and holy in his presence. Um, most of us don't, don't think of ourselves as holy. You know, we think of Mother Teresa is holy, right? Some say, are you holy? You know, most of them, yes, I'm, you know, I'm sparkling clean holy. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't think of ourselves as holy, but something cosmically has happened at the cross that has made us now able to come before the presence of God. Um, the biblical concept of holiness is really far beyond what, what, we can, what we think when we think of the word holy, right? Often it's used in a negative sense, right? Oh, you're, you're holier than now. Um, there's that scene, remember, from Isaiah 6, where Isaiah said, I saw the Lord in his temple high and lifted up, um, and his train filled the temple. And um, it was so thick that the ministers couldn't stand to minister. And the angels, it said there were angels with six wings, and they flew, and with two of their wings, they covered their faces, and they flew back and forth in the temple, crying, holy, holy, holy uh, is the God of angel armies. Now, that's a vision that uh, is just magnificent, and it's something that, for, for our modern, rational minds, it just sounds fantastic. Um, but the goal of Jesus' death is that we'd be right in God's sight. In fact, at its most basic, fundamental level, what it means that you are holy now means you're right in God's sight. You and God can have a relationship. Us and God, we and the Father can have relationship. That there has been, that rupture has been mended. Holy really at, at its core means that uh, we're right with God. Before Jesus, we were wrong with God. And now we're right. God's law says you can't stand before me until you are out without, without a single fault. That's, that's the law of God, essentially. And we all know we break that. Jesus makes us holy, and he makes us blameless, so we can come before God's presence. And then we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, that's not something that, that God does to unholy people, unholy things. Right? He puts his Holy Spirit in us because we have a new nature. We've been, we're a new creation. Now we're, we're, we're right with God. And, and the Holy Spirit enables us and encourages us to continue to walk and live faithfully. So Jesus making us holy by his death means that we're no longer alienated and estranged from God anymore. Um, the ruptured relationship has been mended. And then finally, and third, um, we have to continue. Uh, it says, if indeed, verse 23, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, am a minister. 
So Paul is emphasizing that grace isn't to be compromised by works, right? Romans 4 and Ephesians 2. And um, if grace is subverted by works, uh, the gospel is subverted. And if the gospel is subverted, uh, our hope of assurance is subverted. Um, And uh, if our assurance is subverted, uh, the very foundation and motivation uh, for faith towards God and love uh, towards others is subverted also. Um, Here's something interesting to think about. When we think about grace... In our minds, grace is somewhat precarious because there's these two ditches on either side and we're always struggling. For the rest of your lives, this will be your struggle. As you, as you continue to grapple and understand what grace really is and what it's all about. On one side, there's legalism. And legalism is one ditch on the side of grace that, that we can tend to fall into And legalism is faith in works. It's faith in my works. And that's not grace. That's not the gospel. And uh, if you think about, you know, maybe our nation 70 or 80 years ago or 60 years ago, I don't know how long it was, maybe 70 or 80 years ago, right, there was, uh, we were certainly a legalistic culture. We had prohibition. We we made rules that the the Bible didn't make. And um, if you walked into a church, even maybe as as uh, maybe some churches are still like this. If you walked into a church and you didn't look a certain way, you were going to get funny scowls and looks. Um, and so that's one ditch on the side of grace, on one side of grace, legalism. And on the other side, there's a ditch, um, and that's license. And uh, licism, li- excuse me, license is um, faith without works. It's the idea that because God's grace has made us right with God, that there's nothing we have to do. That there is nothing God expects from us. We can do anything and everything we want, and as long as we say, hey, everyone, no one's perfect, uh, that's kind of somehow this, uh, you know, this, this catch-all statement. And so here is grace, and here is what the Christian life is. It's focusing on the idea that, um, that grace is not our works, and grace is not the absence of works. It's not this, this ditch of legalism, and it's not this ditch of license. Legalism robs us of assurance uh, because it holds up a standard of righteousness that we can never achieve. Some of you have that background. You were raised in an environment where uh, you just the pressure of being perfect was crushing. And a lot of people fall away from their faith and fall away from the church because they realize, I can't live up to this standard. This standard is impossible to live up to. And so people just throw their hands up in the air and they just forget it. This is oppressive. You know, I can't, I can't continue this. Uh, you might have grown up on the, uh, on the opposite side of license where someone told you that God loved you and there was no concept of sin, there was no concept of reconciliation. It was, yeah, God, of course God loves me. Why wouldn't he love me? You know, and this goes back to the idea of what I was talking about, how Jesus gives us assurance not self-esteem, because we don't ever want to think, well, of course God loves me. There was a rupture in the relationship between us and God that Jesus fixed. That fundamentally is the gospel. Jesus fixed that rupture. Both legalism and license abandon faith, and they eclipse the hope of the gospel, which is that Jesus 
in his body uh, of flesh, by his death, made us right with God. And because of this, we ought to continue in this hope and continue in faith, continue in the hope of the gospel, not shifting or abandoning that confidence. And that's what's going on here in this passage of Scripture. There is an assurance that we're not to abandon, but we have to keep our hearts and our minds focused on what Jesus did. Do you know why we have to continually be reminded of the gospel? Right? It seems like, you, you know, if, 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 you, if, you, if you come to, you come to this church or, or any Bible-preaching church long enough, it feels like you're going to hear kind of the same message or the same ideas preached over and over again from a million different angles. And that's because there is really one fundamental message throughout Scripture. The Old Testament looks forward to Christ. The New Testament looks back towards him and his work of redemption. And the reason why we have to keep being reminded of the gospel is because we forget. We forget. It's, it, that, that's just, that's, you know, we're finite creatures. And, you know, tomorrow morning, you know, you'll wake up for, for your, you know, for the, for the work week and, and, and you'll start to forget. You know, we're sheep, you know. And the Bible calls us sheep. Sheep stray. They, that's what they do. <laughs> and so the word of God and, and the preaching of the word of God and the Holy Spirit, those things help to shepherd us. But we constantly and continually need to hear what Jesus has done for us. This is something that we, we keep needing to hear. And this is why Paul gives us these words, that we're to continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we heard that's been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you that um, the status that we once had as strangers and aliens uh, to the kingdom of God, that that status is no longer um, uh, labeled on us. Uh, we are no longer aliens we are no longer strangers, we are no longer foreigners, that the ruptured relationship between us and you has been mended in Jesus Christ, and that we once were uh, hostile in our minds and our deeds were evil, but now, oh God, you have made us holy. In Jesus, in his body and through his death, you have made us holy, able to stand before your presence and to be called your son and your daughters. Father, help us and empower us by your spirit to continue in the faith and not shifting from the hope of the assurance that we have in the gospel of Christ that it's not by our works and, uh, and you have not uh, also uh, called us to license but to live in the liberty of the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you accept us because of your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest privileges that we have.